Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Glad to be back with you. Coming up on today's program, the recent frigid weather brought more than just bitter cold. There were massive water issues for many surrounding counties, and that includes DeKalb. We'll get an update from CEO Michael Thurman in just a moment. Plus, oh, what a year it was, a grueling and exhaustive election season. The economy, and we're all still grappling with COVID-19. So we'll recap the year in politics with Fred Hicks. And then Dan Wisenhunt of Decaturish.com talks about the other big news stories. And of course, can UGA get back to a national title? Well, first, they got to get through Ohio State. Jordan Tucker has a preview of the dogs and the Buckeyes in this weekend's Peach Bowl. All this just ahead, but first this. Georgia is heavily invested in electric vehicle manufacturing with two major plants in the works. And when state lawmakers meet for their 40-day session in January, well, they'll have to make some decisions that could impact the industry's future in the state, as we hear from Susanna Capaluto. Georgia is all in on EVs. The state has given out $3.3 billion in tax incentives to attract Rivian and Hyundai factories. Combined, they are planning to spend $10 billion to make electric vehicles here with nearly 16,000 employees. And now the state has to become EV-friendly, including establishing a network of charging stations. There is some federal money to accomplish that, but state lawmakers are not yet clear who should benefit from charging EVs. A committee to figure it out this year didn't make recommendations. It got stuck between giving small businesses like convenience stores a go at it or having utility companies like Georgia Power set up charging stations. So look for heavy lobbying on this issue during the legislative session. Susanna Capaluto, WABE News. In other news, Fulton County health officials say they've seen an increase in both COVID-19 and flu infections across Metro Atlanta. Now it comes as the state has seen a steady rise in infections over the last few months. Now, we know the holidays typically see a post spike in infections as well. And Fulton County officials are encouraging residents to get vaccinated against both COVID and the flu. And also many local fire, uh, fire and police departments are urging residents to understand this. It is not necessary to shoot your weapons to bring in the new year. The celebratory gunfire is illegal and it's dangerous. So they wanted me to pass that along, and that's what I'm doing. As mentioned, the recent blast of frigid temperatures led uh, area households with limited flow or no water at all from Clayton County to the cab. Now, crews are still working on repairing pipes and restoring water to some areas. So we'll get an update now regarding the cab county. I'm joined by CEO Michael Thurman. Welcome. Delighted to be with you, Rose. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Let's begin here because I want to give folks an update. There was a boil water advisory which began this past Monday. That is no longer necessary, correct? Uh, absolutely. At about 5.45 p.m. on yesterday, we lifted the boil water advisories for some portions of DeKalb County, and uh, we were delighted to do it. And I want to thank the men and women who worked over the holidays uh, to make that so. Well, that's certainly good news. Now, let's back up a little bit, because as we all were preparing for that Arctic blast from last week and given the cabs longtime water and sewer issues, we all know them. Did you feel like the county was prepared for some issues, CEO Thurman? Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned throughout Metro, but it's in Millage Villas in Jasper County, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Kentucky. Throughout the Southeast mm-hmm. United States, uh, various authorities are having issues, and the care was no different. But because we had faced challenges before, uh, I think we were perfectly positioned to respond to this weather crisis. Now, CEO Thurman, the county, from what I understand, you all experienced more than a dozen water main breaks? No, actually, it was about 20. 
And all of those have been repaired as of 3.30 a.m. this morning. All of them? Yes. 20. What What does that say to you about the—I mean, you're right, you're right. It wasn't just a cab. It was a lot of areas, not just here locally in Georgia, but nationally as well. And you can't control the weather. Uh, but when folks don't have water, they don't want to hear all that. They want to know when their water is going to be, you know, turned back on. 20 water main breaks. Yeah, but on an average day, we have 8 to 10. So that's uh, not uh, average day is not unusual. But to your point, though, mm-hmm. uh, what this actually demonstrated was that we have a very fragile uh, water and sewer system, particularly mm-hmm. water system. It was not built to operate. Uh, in sub-Arctic temperatures, 8 and 10 degrees for sustained periods of time. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the realities we face that and so many homeowners and, and, and renters woke up to the harsh reality that the infrastructure that had been placed in their facilities or even under the streets could not withstand these type of temperatures. And when you have water main breaks and then when you have for private residents and businesses, their pipes are bursting, First thing people say, okay, well, we know there's going to be a decrease in water flow, but then for some, you just have to turn the water off to fix these. Was that an issue too? Did you have a lot of also? Did you have a lot of pipes that were bursting in, in private residences and businesses as well? Well, with any crisis or emergency situation, you have to first engage in a situational analysis. Mm-hmm. What exacerbated this particular crisis was that it occurred. Christmas Eve, Christmas, and then a holiday, mm-hmm. uh, official holiday on the 26th. So you had many homes and businesses that were empty because people away on vacation or just out of town. That exacerbated, I think, a situation where broken water mains uh, was a culprit that was causing the problem of losing water pressure throughout mm-hmm. the system. Rose, let me tell you what has been missed, I think, in the reporting, and I think we need to do a better job of it. We have some 3,000 miles of water main pipes in DeKalb County. Mm -hmm. About 50% of them are privately owned. So when you hear often a water main is broken, it's not always broken on the public side of the system. Oftentimes it's broken on the private side and there's nothing any government can do about that. Mm -hmm. The private owner has has to repair it. And I know you all sent out a press release telling folks, do not call 911 if your pipes burst. But, you know, I know for some folks, they don't understand what to do. You say call your property manager if you're renting or, you know, call a plumber if you're owning. To your knowledge, though, CEO Thurman, are there any residents or businesses or areas that are still without water? That could possibly be so. And one of the things I wanted to share with you in the audience today, uh, the temperatures are rising again above freezing. But this crisis is not going to go away in the next weeks or even a month. Let me tell you why. We assume, but it's not true, that everyone can afford to hire a plumber, even Mm -hmm. if a plumber is available to them. So what we have now in the cab and all over this region and all over this state are hundreds, if not thousands of homeowners and renters who can't afford to pay the plumber to repair the damage. Mm -hmm. Consequently, once you turn off the water, these families don't have water. That's why we are doing another uh, water distribution today at a senior center, because we know Mm -hmm. that there are people who just can't afford a plumber or can't access one, even though the damage is on the private side as opposed to the public side. CEO Thurman, I know the courthouse also suffered. You all had just had a time here. You all, this courthouse suffered a lot of water damage. What's the latest here? Will you all be able to reopen after the new year? Well, work is ongoing. Uh, we discovered it. And it's interesting. My sister had a problem in Augusta. She no longer lives in our residence. The pipe burst. Mm-hmm. So I had to run to Augusta to take care of family, too, in the midst of the chaos crisis. But the same uh, bur- uh, pipe that burst, the same type of pipe that burst in her condo, that flooded her condo, is the same one that caused the same problem in the DeKalb County Courthouse. It These pipes... These copper pipes are not designed to continue to function in extremely low temperatures for extended periods of time. The PSI, the pressure was just too great, but we'll get the courthouse back open. I know some hearings are being handled Mm -hmm. from Zoom. You know, we've had to do that before, but I fully expect uh, Chief Judge Jackson and the people at the courthouse to rally and continue the business of the court. And uh, Clerk Dewberry 
has already come up with ways to serve people at the clerk's office, and we are assisting them in any way possible. Well, then, from an infrastructure standpoint, based on what you just told me, CEO Thermic, do you all have the funds to try to replace as much as that 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 piping that doesn't work or is, is not suffice to handle these cold temperatures? Can't you replace that? Oh, yes. And we need to look at it differently as well, we, even with our building codes and zoning regulations. What this what we've learned mm-hmm. from this is that we need to think about how we authorize people to build certain structures. One of the things that happened, and this is personal with me again, my sister, the, the condo was built with the water heater in the attic. How about that? Yeah. So it's a disaster waiting to happen. So we need to revisit how we allow new structures to be built and what the expectations are in terms of the piping as well as insulation for the piping. You know, CEO Thurman, as we wrap up, I remember one time you told me we were talking about the cabs, longstanding, you all had issues, violations of state and federal water, quality laws, sewer issues, billing issues to customers. And and I went back and I listened to it because this is what you told me. I'm going to quote you, quote, we're not there yet, but we're not where we used to be, end quote. So I want to ask you exactly how would you assess where you all are in terms of your water treatment, sewer and all that, your infrastructure? We're spending over $100 million a year, uh, really, just on the water distribution system. We are creating and going to build new water tanks and strengthen this very critical infrastructure. You know, I'm the first one to admit uh, we, we collectively, we, the county, neglected to make the proper investment mm-hmm. for decades prior to now. But we're moving in the right direction. I'm proud that 20, 48 hours after this crisis, the water is flowing uh, We've lifted the boil water advisory and we're back in place. You can't control the weather. Sure. What you can control is how you respond to it and how efficiently and effectively can you respond. And in 48 hours, we went from boil water to lifting mm-hmm. that to completing 20 infrastructure fixes. Last one completed last night at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. in the morning. DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I don't have to ask you, but I will. Who you got in the Peach Bowl? Who I got? Let me see. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. From someone who grew up in Athens, Georgia. Hey, go dogs. All right. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. All right. Same to you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Pick a word, any word, well, maybe not any word, to describe the year in politics. And while you all are being creative and emailing me that word, I'm joined now by Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer, which is just a fancy way of saying he likes to talk to people and deal with numbers, Fredix, as we dig into a wild and wacky election season. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Do I get to get your one word to sum up this year in politics? Wow. That's a safe word. How about that? Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's a safe word. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Let's uh, begin on the national front here. How would you assess or grade the efforts of, let's start with the Democrats here, in terms of what they wanted to do nationally? I mean, depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer, but I'll let you assess that. Well, you know, Rose, I think going into the year, everyone, well, most people expected Republicans to take one, if not both chambers of um, of the Congress. Mm-hmm. I think the House was pretty much a given to many people. And if and the question was just how many seats would Republicans pick up? But now as we sit here on December 29th, it's a very different story. Republicans did not gain the Senate uh, primarily because of the work we did here in Georgia. Um, and then Republicans did gain the House or win the House, but not by the, the margins that people thought. So um, in terms of the national landscape, you saw Democrats do very well. And it was this is like 
like life outside of politics. This was two or three years and one. Mm-hmm. All right. So at one point it seemed like, okay, Republicans are going to win everything. And then the Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe with the Dodds decision and things swung in the summer in favor of Democrats. And then the fall, it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so on balance, I think when you look at the year for, for those of us who who care about such things as uh, you know free and open elections, mm-hmm. it was very interesting to see that many of the 2020 election deniers lost um, and that we, we, we seem like we're almost kind of turning back to the sort of a more a little bit more of a normal um, political environment for for the U.S. But you know, just as we thought that Donald Trump announced he was running for re-election, and so we'll see. Well, you say we'll see, but we're starting to see uh, a, a shift, though, that with folks, Republicans especially, we're going to talk about them for a moment, um, shifting away from Donald Trump and in, in all of his rhetoric and, and narrative, and in some cases, lies. Uh, we're seeing that. Absolutely. You know, if we were to talk about winners and losers of the year, um, I don't. I, I really don't like to call people names or anything like that. But I would say that Donald Trump had the worst year in politics, both nationally and in Georgia. Uh, his people, his endorsed, supported candidates, did not do well this year. And so, for someone who's looking to make, who has announced that they are making another run. Um, he has a lot of roadblocks because people that he would have wanted in place, whether you're talking about Kerry Lake in Arizona or Mastrano in Pennsylvania or David Perdue in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't fare well. And even the people he used to support, like Ron DeSantis in Florida, are no longer necessarily on his team. So mm-hmm. it was not a good year for Donald Trump. Let's come home here to Georgia for a moment here, because obviously we, we know we now know all the results. But any surprises in terms of campaign strategies and you read the paper like I've read, you know, and there's been a lot of sort of post uh, I won't call it grievances, but uh, for lack of words here in terms of Stacey Abrams campaign and, you know, folks dishing the dirt here saying, look, you know, it wasn't there was a lot of issues. Uh, what do you make of all that? And I have not spoken to Mrs. Abrams, so can't confirm it. But, you know, you've read the same AJC articles that I've read as well. Absolutely. You know, and I have not spoken with her or, or her uh, campaign uh, team, her media circle, and I did not work on the campaign. So I want to make sure I put that out there for the for the audience. Uh, but as a strategist, as someone who's worked on statewide campaigns, and we talked about this throughout the year, there were several sort of warning signs. If you think about your car, you see the warning lights come on. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacey never topped 46 percent in any poll, um, any major poll throughout the year. And their response was, don't believe the polls. But when you see so many different polls from, you know, and pollsters reaching the same conclusions, and after a while, you have to think, okay, there, there's something to this. Um, of course, you know, the story at Axios and AJC that talked mm-hmm. about, you know, 103 million raised thus far that we know of. Disclosures will come out next week um, or the week after, so we'll have a fuller picture of it. But to raise over $100 million between your campaign and your leadership committee, and to be broke, to be a million dollar, a million plus dollars in debt, mm-hmm. and to underperform, that was that was really problematic. Now, I, I disagree that the campaign was not winnable. I think that the approach that was deployed made it unwinnable. I do think it was going to be tough, but I disagree with the well, we were never going to win, and it was it was just an impossible climb. Because if that's the case, then then why did you run? Why did you take people's money mm-hmm. and things of that nature? Well, let me ask you this then. What was it about the Abrams campaign approach that was a red flag for you? Okay. Uh, there were a few. There were a few. So um, it actually started before 2022. Um, I think she should have been more visible in Georgia on the ground in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. Um, I think that they made a mistake last year in getting involved in local races and endorsing people uh, who were not incumbents but were Democrats. So they started creating a bit of ill will uh, at, at the lowest level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a mistake to announce the day after the mayor of Atlanta won last year uh, that soured a lot of people. Um, and then so then you look at you know how the campaign executed things this year. Um, you know over the summer you had a real opportunity. To, to lay the groundwork for a solid ground campaign. And we've talked about this um, over the last month or so on, on this show, um, TV versus ground. And they, mm-hmm. they invested very heavily in TV. Uh, I think we saw one point, a couple of million dollars a week, and they didn't invest as heavily on the ground. 
And that really limited their ability to, to do a lot of things. And meanwhile, for Governor Kemp, he had to focus or what he focused on was this is what I've been doing already as your governor. And we're still dealing with mm-hmm. COVID. This is what I've been delivering to the American people and then to the George, to the folks of Georgia. And then he also said, look, you know, we have been pulling folks who typically don't vote Republicans. Right. And he was able to do that because, again, uh, we saw throughout the year, and we look back at all the polls, and again, they said, the Abrams campaign said, don't believe them. But clearly, the Kemp campaign believed the polls, and they felt that they were always going to do well, so they give them the opportunity to try to expand the tents. And that was a luxury that they had with that. Uh, but I do salute them with, with respect to just because you have that opportunity doesn't mean that you're going to take it. And so from a, from a, from a strategist or a strategy mm-hmm. perspective, it was very smart for them to seize upon the softness and the support and, and to go after that. What other post-election data have you been assessing and, and dipping into? So there's sort of two phases to it, right? There was the post-November 8th, and then, of course, there's the post-runoff. Mm-hmm. So what was really interesting after November 8th, I think we talked about this a little bit, was that there were 300,000 African-Americans who voted in the January uh, 2021 runoff who did not vote in the November 8th election. And we saw the We're Not campaign and the runoff really pivot and take a hard focus on on those African-American voters and on the metro area in the metro area, because about two thirds of those African-American voters who didn't vote lived here in the metro area. Mm-hmm. So um, they really they took a look at that data. And I thought that was interesting that they made that pivot. I think it was also very interesting to see again between November and during the runoff that once the noise of the other elections uh, stepped kind of subsided, that when people could just focus on Warnock and Walker, mm-hmm. that you saw people really shape opinions and people were able to to make additional decisions. What was most interesting to me in the post um, the post runoff analysis was that going into election day, we built some models, we're looking at it, the the data would indicate based on how Republicans and Democrats perform at the county level mm-hmm. that. Herschel Walker could win by as many as 75,000 votes. And so for Senator Warnock to win by 100,000, that's almost a 20,000 vote swing, that tells us that he held his base, he being mm-hmm. Senator Warnock, and that Republicans, some Republicans crossed over and that other Republicans continue to stay home. And that for Georgia, I think it's very promising that you can elect uh, a prominent Democrat and a prominent Republican in the same cycle. While Governor Kemp has another four more years, obviously, what do you think? And again, we haven't spoken with her, but I mean, for a, a candidate and a, and a very popular and a very what they call, you know, rise at one point considered the rising star in the Democratic Party. Where does Stacey Abrams possibly go from here? I think um, I think that that's to be determined. I mean, she still has great uh, name ID and popularity nationally. Uh, but again, I think the, the reports about how they manage their money. Um, I think that was damaging. I think the political report about how Fair Fight manages money was potentially damaging. And so when this next disclosure report comes out, I think there's a whole new round of stories on that. Because here's the thing about politics. As long as you can raise money, you're always going to be a player in the game. And so her greatest strength um, for the last five years has been her ability to draw I mean, she's a she's a, a magnet for for, for donations mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that's gonna i don't i don't think that that's gonna end no matter what but it's it's her ability to how much can she raise for a cause or for a candidate that will impact that does she have a major role in heading into 2024 for the democrats i think she can and should um in many respects uh, you know right now especially when we talk about georgia democrats atlanta and georgia's trying to land the democratic convention mm-hmm. for 2024 That'll be an all hands on deck effort. Um, and she is certainly a major part of that when you're talking about, again, the national landscape. So you have her, you have Mayor Bottoms, you have Mayor Dickens, uh, you have Senator Warnock, Senator Ossoff. So you have a lot, a lot of things happening. Um, but I think it's going to come down to what she wants to do. I mean, she when she sets her mind to something and puts her full strength behind it, she's been pretty, she's been pretty accomplished. Meanwhile, for George Governor Brian Kemp, you know, his name, you all talked about it. You and Juliana on this show talked about how his rise now was was increasing within, the, you know, the Republican Party. And it's a name to be to look out for, you know, down the road here when he's done with governor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what a what a year for him. Um, he entered the year with a primary opponent backed by Donald Trump. Um, and he, he's not only survived that, he got 70 plus percent of the vote. 
then he pivoted to the person he knew he was going to face for the last four years, and he won that by a larger margin than, than most people expected going into the year. Um, and then he was then sort of playing with house money, and he uh, was able to keep Herschel Walker close in the runoff. So I think for Governor Kemp, he was definitely the winner of the year in Georgia. Um, but what's interesting to me about this, Rose, mm-hmm. when we talk about Governor Kemp, is that for the last four years, uh, so for his entire first term, you had other forces dictating what he was going to do, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was Donald Trump on the right or Stace, knowing that he was facing Stacey Abrams on the left. So now with both of those forces out of the out of the equation for him, he doesn't have to worry about Donald Trump. He's proven he's more popular with Jeff Duncan. Um, being gone, the lieutenant governor, and traditionally, lately, anyway, mm-hmm. the lieutenant governor has been a little to the left of the governor. We saw with Casey Cagle and the, and the two governors he served under. And with the new speaker uh, coming in, this is going to be really interesting that now we're going to see who Governor Kemp is, what is his agenda, mm-hmm. um, and, and who he is as a governor. I don't think we really saw that in the first four years. I mean, he did move forward on things that he wanted to, like guns, abortion, and things of that nature. But now that this is his state, it's his party, and he is the unquestioned leader in, the, in both those regards, right, it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to pursue legislatively and how he decides to conduct himself. And finally, is Georgia blue, red, purple, purple, whatever colors folks got out there, a combination of two? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think um, the election results so that we are we are a purple state. Um, that again, we, and we talked about this early in the year on the show, Rose, that we thought this year was the year that Georgia would elect Democrat and Republican statewide, and people I think thought we were crazy. Some of the listeners are like, "Really? What?" Um, and that's exactly what happened uh, this year when everything was uh, not that everything is said and done. Well, wait, 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 uh, wait, wait. You, what do you mean Democrats elected statewide? What, what do you mean? Uh, what? You, well, you got to remember, you know, Georgia's been a Republican state for since 2002. The right. exception being, you know, C.O. Thurman. You talking about state offices? You're not talking about state offices. State offices. Are you talking about well, state? statewide? So, well, I'm talking about statewide. Oh, okay. Because so none, none of them won. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But the fact that the same electorate went to the vote, went to the voting booth on November 8th and, and chose okay. um, Brian Kemp and Raphael Warnock. And then when it was focused, you remember, Democrats haven't done well until, until Senators Warnock and Ossoff. Uh, so you so but you give so you give the weight of the two senators to balance out the weight against the Republican Party throughout all the other offices within Georgia. That's what you're doing. That's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely, well, that, and that's what, and that's what voters did. I'm saying that's what voters okay. did. All right. So Fred. not Fred is what the voters said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, uh, UGA Ohio State. Who you got? Ooh, well, I'm a Florida State Seminole, so you know we're gonna go next year Florida State. But for this year, we'll say UGA um, over over Ohio State. First of all, Florida State ain't doing nothing next year, but whatever. Fred Hicks, political <laughs> strategist and closer look contributor. Thank you as always. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too. Florida State. And closer look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As you just heard, it was yet another eventful year in politics and, of course, here in Georgia. But there are other big stories dominating the news. I want to talk about it. I'm joined now by Dan Wisenhunt, editor and publisher of Decatur's.com and a WABE content sharing partner. Dan, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. How you doing, Rose? Doing all right. We'll, we'll get to Alabama in a moment. But uh, a big, right. <laughs> big election year. I'm just going to ask you, how do you summarize this year in politics? Well, I think, you know, nationally, of course, I think it speaks to the waning influence of Donald Trump over the party. And and I don't think that I I still think you kind of beat Trump in a primary, any primary to to get because he's, you know, even in the elections where his candidates lost, it was still pretty close. He Mm -hmm. still had people. uh, Carrie Lake's election in particular demonstrated that. But I, I noted and this rubbed some people the wrong way, but I was on Twitter and I was like, you know, the Republicans who got elected to state races in Georgia also, as a general rule, happened to be the Republicans who said they weren't going to do crimes for Trump uh, and, and openly repudiated that uh, and, and often. So I think that uh, Trump remains a big turnoff to independent voters. Mm-hmm. And well, there was some question, though, with Burt Jones, though. I mean, there was some issues with Burt Jones. I mean, got to be fair. Yeah. Like yeah, true, but yeah. but I'm I'm talking about the big ticket, you know. I got the, you. Yeah, yeah, Raffensperger and and Kemp in particular, sure. both were were very prominent uh, people to push back against Trump, and both 
were challenged from the right. Uh, but again, the problem was Trump mm-hmm. because David Perdue, you know, is, is so closely uh, joined at the hip with him. Uh, and I just think voters just are turned off by the guy, especially independent voters and the yeah. polls show that. And as long as they let Trump handpick candidates, they're not going to do well yeah. um, going forward. Well, let's shift from politics for a moment because there are some other issues and you cover all things to Cab County, everything involved with it. Listen, public safety, housing issues seem to be a top of mind here, regionally speaking. I'm curious, Dan, what were those issues and concerns that you all heard most from from readers in DeKalb? Well, obviously, you know, there's there's been a an uptick in crime relative to, to previous years. But historically, crime is still very, very low. A lot of people don't appreciate that. But in the 90s, crime was astronomical. Oh, and that yeah. is the the con the context within which, you know, Bill Clinton passed the crime bill that they were heavily criticized for later. Uh, so people do have to sort of keep that in perspective. That said, uh, George Cheedy, a mutual friend of ours, has done some great work, uh, you know, talking about the, the police force in the Cab County. You know, the other day he said we have about 600 full-time police officers covering a very large county. And he questioned whether that is a sufficient enough mm-hmm. presence uh, to keep the county covered. So, you know, it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's sad. But, you know, we you mentioned this before we came on the show. And just yesterday in DeKalb County, we had like six different people shot. Yeah. And one of them was a, was a 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, I think she's going to be okay. Uh, but, you know, I attribute some of that to just the mark that, that the pandemic left on all of us there's there's going to be a lot of i mean i don't want to sound woo woo but there's going to be a lot of trauma from that uh that we're going to be processing for years and a lot of economic disruption that that caused and i think i think that definitely has a role in some Mm -hmm. of it and i think instability uh, in things like housing also play a role too uh, because atlanta ain't getting any cheaper wages aren't rising to meet that demand so Housing is going to continue to be a concern for for many people here in Atlanta, even people who have otherwise, you know, decent jobs and incomes are going to struggle to afford housing. Uh, We've been this has been ongoing and and folks should not be surprised by this because, listen, after 2008, after, you know, the the, the great (laughs) the the, the debacle that it was, you would have thought that folks would have been planning for some of this. But that's a whole nother story. I want to I do want to talk about the public housing. I mean, the, the regional housing issues there, because we have talked to so many people about is this an opportunity where local governments now really have to lay down a law in terms of new developers coming in? Now, you cover so many different neighborhoods and so many different cities. So what and I'm just using this as an example. What Tucker needs is going to be different than what, you know, another county may may need. How is development viewed, new development viewed in the areas that you cover in terms of being a friend or a foe when it comes to housing, you know, affordability for folks? Well, I think there's a lot more emphasis on the front end now of, uh, excuse me, making sure that there are affordable units within projects. I didn't necessarily see that uh, a a few years ago. It was sort of an afterthought. But now that's built in, you know, in Decatur, they passed an inclusionary zoning ordinance after years of a a Mm -hmm. policy that frankly didn't work, uh, where they they offered developers a density bonus for, for affordable units and they never by and large never took that so now it's the law that affordability has to be on the front end uh you know decatur's doing a a big affordable housing development at legacy park there Mm -hmm. um but i think we have to acknowledge that we are behind the eight ball as a region on this we kind of let development happen without many guardrails as as far as affordability goes and now there's some real real challenges for Mm -hmm. people who you know, uh, who work hard, have have decent incomes, are still struggling to afford like one bedroom places uh, mm-hmm. to live close to where they work. So I think that there's, you know, there's affordability, there's that piece. But we also have to think about, you know, what are we going to do for people who maybe aren't considered low income uh, by, by those metrics, mm-hmm. but still have a challenge uh, finding a place to live. And I think that's going to be a discussion we need to have as a policy because everything we do in housing is is a policy choice right Absolutely. when you see when you see unhoused homeless people on the street what you're seeing is a policy choice we, we've made a choice that we're comfortable with that level of poverty right in front of our faces 
uh, and we don't intend to do anything about it. Mm. You know, how, how, how long do we intend to let that sort of thing go on? Because, you know, the, there are more and more unhoused people out there every day. Mm-hmm. I see them. Uh, and that's going to keep growing. So how long are we going to continue to pursue that as a housing choice is my question. What are those? No, absolutely. And besides housing, you all have covered some big stories. You broke a lot of stories and we've had you on this program and you all have broke some stories. What are those ongoing stories and, and those stories that you all will continue to follow for Decatur's.com? Well, Decatur Schools is is probably the most important, in my view, thing going on in Decatur County. And it's not really accepted as such among the business and political leadership of DeKalb County. Um, and in fairness to everyone, DeKalb County Schools is a big institution. It's got a $2 billion budget. It's got, you know, uh, thousands of students, thousands of teachers uh, affected by it. So there's a lot to take in, but the schools have been you know, below average for a long, long time. And it's and it's sort of been accepted as something that nobody can do anything about. Well, they can't keep a superintendent either, Dan. I mean, that kind well, of, you got to have good leadership in there, right? Or that's part of it. effective I mean, leadership, it, I should say. I think, I think, you know, what we see, what I see is that the Cavs school board acts a lot more like competing interests on a legislative delegation than they do as a board that's focused on, um, you know, schools. I'll give you an example. You know, I've been doing this for a decade or more, and I've covered all kinds of different school districts. And I went to the Cavs schools retreat and they had a map. Okay. So they had, these are your capital needs. They had a map of the district. They're like, show us what you want. And the board members are going up there and, you know, I want a school in my district. I want a school, you know, that's, I would argue that is not the best way to determine how to address capital needs in a district. Uh, It should be determined based on the condition of your school uh, and the enrollment. And it shouldn't be, well, somebody in Dunwoody got this. So I want this in in my community. It's it's a very short-sighted way to run a school district, but that is the level that we're kind of operating at is, is it's still very territorial. And that's, that's the part that really the school board, they're not going to change themselves. That's where uh, the business and political leadership, including the legislative delegation of DeKalb County Mm -hmm. needs to seriously ask themselves if that's how they want our school district to be run. Uh, Because schools, schools drive everything. They drive economic development. Uh, they drive social advancement, civic health, all the things that we're talking about right now that mm-hmm. are that we're dealing with are affected in some way by education. And Dan, what you've been able to do with Decatur's.com, and we've we've talked about this, uh, you know, we're more than just, I think, colleagues, we're friends. We talk about the importance of local journalism. We know what we do here at WABE, and that we, we're seeing this trend now where local, local, local is so important. Folks changing their... I won't call anybody out. Folks changing their models, looking like the public radio model, you know, getting folks to donate at tiered levels. But the important we have more now local independent outlets in the area than we've had, I think, in a long time ever. Um, How do you see the importance of what you all are doing at Decatur's.com? Well, I think Decaturish is very lucky in that our audience was our is pretty wealthy and pretty educated, uh, which is a great you know, if I was trying to do this in Alabama somewhere, I'd have been tarred and feathered by now. But uh, Decatur's uh, audience is, is really hip and they sort of understand that the news is going to gonna make you mad. That's sometimes. a little bit harsh, um, tar and feather, don't you think? I mean, Oh, believe me, in Alabama, I would not last a, a second. They would, they would not put up with it. Uh, they don't like Decatur's, local news. They don't like local news. They, they, don't, like, they don't like people uh, picking fights and, and telling them they're wrong, which I, I tend to do every once in a while, um, just because I feel like that's my job. But, um, you know, the nice thing about local news is that it's not inherently partisan the way other things in this country are, right? There's no Democratic or Republican way to pave a street. You know, the, either street needs to be paved or it doesn't. Um, and that is what interests me the most about it, is it's a place where people who might not agree politically on anything else can come together and find some common thread upon which they might agree or yeah. and I think that's a really great you know we're like a table where where different people can meet and have a conversation um it's interesting you talked about the profit model uh you know just to get off on a sidebar about that a little bit you know we have resisted becoming non-profit not because we see anything wrong with it mm-hmm. uh but just because we we still like to have that flexibility to move around a little bit 
Uh, and I'm also not necessarily keen to take on a board of people telling me what to do all the time. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, I, yes but, I, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do think you're right in that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the local Atlanta media uh, that isn't getting talked. You know, Axios getting bought by Cox is huge. It's a way yeah. bigger deal than, yeah. than I think people appreciate. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's one thing. You know, Atlanta News First is just made a huge investment. That was the old CBS affiliate. Yeah. Uh, and they made a huge investment in their newsroom and covering local news. So yeah. I think other people are starting to see the value of it, too, and are starting to move into that space. All right. Now, Dan, coming up next, I'm going to talk UGA and Ohio State and the Peach Bowl. I'm, I'm sorry about your Crimson, Crimson Tide. Are you, can you can you be a team player and at least just pick one? Oh, I mean, I don't think there are actually four good teams in college football this year. I think it's Georgia and everybody i mean did you see the championship game yeah. where that georgia defensive back picked up the lsu quarterback like a kitten yes. and like just placed him on the other side of the field yeah. like that was just the biggest flex he was like i could totally wreck this dude's career right now <laughs> but i'm not gonna because i'm nice uh yeah you got players you got a team full of players that can do that i mean i don't know i don't think there's any team as good as georgia so yeah, and right. i say that as an Alabama fan, uh, they're, uh, they are a really good football team. And listen, let's be really clear, too. The last team to win back-to-back, I'm going to talk about it in a moment with Jordan Tucker, was Alabama 2011-2012. All right. Those were some good years. Absolutely. Dan Wisenhut, editor and publisher of Decaters.com, also a WABE content sharing partner. Thank you so much, Dan. Good information. Happy New Year. Same to you, Rose. Always a pleasure. All right. My love to little JP. <laughs> Thank you. He appreciates it. <laughs> And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Make no mistake, fans of Ohio State, well, they're just as hyped for this weekend's Peach Bowl here in Atlanta against the Georgia Bulldogs. And the Buckeyes faithful are already in town. I see y'all. Now, the winner of the Peach Bowl will play for the College Football National Championship. Now, it is rare in college football for a program to win back-to-back, as I just talked about with Dan Wisenhunt. Alabama did it last, 2011-2012. And you have to go way back to also to Nebraska in 94-95. So the question, can the dogs get back to the title game? Can they? Well, let's welcome back to the program former North Carolina Tar Heel offensive lineman Jordan Tucker and sports analyst, budding sports analyst Jordan Tucker. Glad to have you back. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here. How tough is it to go back-to-back to win national championships? I think it's tough to go back-to-back on anything. Yeah. And uh, college football, I mean, whew, it's crazy every single year. For you to go back-to-back and remain one of the top dogs in college football, I think it – it's it's really important to see who that coach is, the team. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's hard. It's and very for hard. a team like Georgia that lost so much on the defense, oh, and people are like, oh, they're really going to suffer, but they look pretty darn good to me. Man, they look good. They look good. I I I, I was a little shocked to see how good they were at the end of the <laughs> uh, the SEC championship yeah. game. They they shocked me definitely. Well, listen, let's let's be fair. We'll, we can talk Georgia Bulldogs, but let's look at Ohio State. I mean, they've they you know look, they have their tradition. Mm-hmm. Um. And and they haven't looked Ohio State-ish. My friend Mitzi, who's listening, probably wouldn't like me saying that. Mm-hmm. As in the past, they always had a pretty good quarterback. Right. You know, they've always had outstanding receivers. Right. They've got Marvin Harrison Jr., who was just like his daddy, an incredible mm-hmm. receiver. What do you see from Ohio State that might make them competitive to the end? You know, it's it's difficult to say just because the season they've had this year, it's not been like you said the Ohio State that we've seen mm-hmm. and. What that's been has just been dominant. They've been dominant, consistent throughout the entire season. But this season, they've been a little wishy-washy when it comes to their defense, when it comes to how fast they're able to play with some of these high-speed teams and stuff like that. But as far as what I see them doing to win, I think what they have to do is communicate on defense, number one. Mm -hmm. Because Georgia's offense is a big dog. Obviously. What do you do? You focus on disrupting Stetson Bennett, who's an outstanding quarterback. I made a joke that he's forty. Okay, he's not forty, close to it. But do you disrupt him because that team goes as he goes? Do you try to blitz him, get mm-hmm. him off his timing? Is that the key? Because if his timing's off, he's not going to get the ball to receivers. Right. So, you know, I've been watching a lot of Georgia football recently this this whole year, and I think the strong suit of their entire team is the front five and the offensive line. I think if you disrupt- oh you say that as an offensive line listen I <laughs> but you're right I I I love how they play they're physical they're dominant I haven't seen you don't see Stetson getting hit all the time you see these lanes opening up for the run game I mean 
Their offensive line has no, been balling. No, he has tons of time. He's just sitting back there chilling. He hits his receivers on the spot. He's got the time. Exactly. So. I think you have to disrupt that offensive line. You have to get some confusion going, get some twist games, some blitzes that are really just going to put them in a loop because once you're put in that loop as, as an offensive lineman, you're worried about the quarterback, not necessarily the man in front of you. Of course, you could also make it so you keep him off the field, which means if you're Ohio State, do you try to run the ball? But they listen, they've got – They've got these great receivers, and I think their leading rusher, Williams, mm -hmm. uh, he was out, or he was – they said he was going to be out. I think he is now. He's going to be back in. But that's key, too. If you can control the clock mm -hmm. and keep Stetson Bennett and the rest of the dogs off the field, then they don't score 40, 50 points on you. I agree. I think for Ohio State to win or for them to show that they're going to compete in this game, they have to do good on early downs. First and second down, you got to get three, four yards a pop mm -hmm. easily because that opens up so many avenues for you. So many avenues instead of playing behind the sticks, third and seven, third and long, plus that. How much film preparation? How you you've been in this situation before, a big bowl game? Are players really in the in the room in the film room? Are they really watching all? Because Ohio State and, and Georgia don't play each other that often, right. obviously. Are you really doing that? Or are you just going to play your game as you would to any other opponent? I think any. Anybody who wants to reach the level of professional and anybody who wants to even reach the level of Division One football, you're, you're going to be in the film room, especially when you have almost a month to do it. Yeah. You're, you're going to be in the film room watching tendencies, watching everything, watching games when they were playing against FBS or FCS teams. It doesn't matter. You're going to be in the when film room. When they were room. playing Appalachian State. You're going to be in the film room. <laughs> App State's a good team. Hey, I, I took a I took an L to App State. Uh, you got, I remember <laughs> you guys. I took an L to I App remember State. That. <laughs> Let's back up and talk about these coaches for a minute. Obviously, Kirby, man, getting all this love. There are articles about how he is now. Is he in that? Listen, he's only won one, mm -hmm. so you can't put him in the greatest. But, you know, if he does, even if they get back to the national title game and if even still they win, I mean, do you start talking about Kirby already being one of the greatest coaches ever? I think I think he needs one more year. I think yeah. he needs one more year of extreme production like he's been doing and what what he's done since getting to Georgia has been phenomenal. I yeah. mean, they're they're in the top conversations every year now. Yeah. And I think for them to go go to go back to back this year would really prove his point of I'm I'm here, I'm one of the best coaches to do it in history possibly. And in the meantime, uh, giving Nick Saban a headache because, you know, clearly he thinks he's the greatest coach oh, of all I time. Want, I, I want to know what's I'm, going through his mind. I'm, I'm not I'm not knocking <laughs> Nick Saban. He's a great coach. But, man, does he hate to lose. Man, does he hate to lose. <laughs> I would, too, if I had that many national champions, national championship of rings, course. all of that. I would not. And especially to my own assistant, no, right. no, 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 no. Exactly. No, 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 no. Uh, do we spend a couple minutes talking about Michigan and, and TCU? Ah. <sighs> The horn. I just love the horned frogs. I, I love the I love the jerseys. I love the horned frogs. Yeah. I've always been a fan but of they're TCU. Gonna lose. <laughs> they, they're gonna get whooped. They're gonna get whooped. I'm not gonna lie. They're gonna get whooped. I think I think Michigan's got their number this game. I respect them for making the playoffs. I know we had that talk last time, but yeah. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be Michigan moving on. All right. It, is it too early to talk about then? What do hurt me ask is how do you get your players not to focus on the the championship game? Because look, we're all. Picking, and I'm assuming you're picking Georgia. We're everybody's picking Georgia, mm -hmm. but you know we've there've been upsets. So how do you get your, your your players to focus on this game? Don't look past. Hey, we going to the national title game mm -hmm. again? You know, because focus that can be a problem for some young players. I I couldn't agree more. It was the, I had I had that issue every now and again in college, like just yeah. getting to that next game. Say we were playing Wofford or something, and I knew. Uh huh. I That's knew how y'all lost the Appalachian State. Exactly. Exactly. And like. <laughs> Honestly, as a coach, there's not much you can do other than let the player be themselves. Like, you can't overcoach, you can't undercoach, but I just think uh, it's really up to the players because, I mean, you, you're the only one controlling what you think. Like, you're going to be thinking about next week whether somebody tells you mm -hmm. not to or not. But also for Georgia, they have a little bit of a home field advantage. I mean, 100%. They're playing right down the street there. Mm -hmm. You've got the crowd. Obviously. And then, like I said, Ohio State fans, they do travel. They're mm -hmm. here. I've seen them. Saw them at Kroger asking me where the sugar was. I'm like, come on, y'all. <laughs> Find your own sugar, not insane. Where's the sweet tea? Right. right. Uh, but they were nice people. Uh, Mary and, and Joe, I believe their names were. They were they had on their Ohio State uh, sweatshirt, so I was very nice. Uh, but if you are Ohio State, if you can say, listen, by the time of halftime, if we're ahead or by within X number of points, we feel like we got a chance, what is that margin there for Ohio State in that first half? Honestly, I think they – they they've got they've got the weapons they've got the running back they've got the O line they've got the receivers to come back from down twenty one in my opinion 
but it's Georgia we're talking about. That's a defense that you can't play around with. So my margin is, I would say, 10 to 14. If they're if they're down 10 or they're down they're down two scores, get the ball at half. We'll we'll see about it. If they could keep Georgia to 14 points in the first half, wow. Oh no, I didn't say they're going to keep them to 14. (laughs) Georgia Georgia's going to score. Georgia's going to do what they do. They're going to score. I I already messed up last time saying they wasn't going to score. They're going to score this game. I'm going to go ahead and put that on record, but. I want to talk about something else, then, and I actually got an email about this. Someone wanting to know they were asking about this whole college portal transfer system. Do you like it? Has it been a good thing for college for college sports? I, I'm on. I'm in the middle, Jordan. I'm I'm, on, I'm in the middle. I would say I'm in the middle too, just because um, I spent all five of my years in North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. Had ideas to transfer. Had ideas to stay, go, whatever, whatever. But I think the transfer portal has been in place for coaches since the game began. I think the transfer portal has been in place for coaches. They get paid to get in it, though. Yeah. So now when players are getting it, getting in it, people are getting angry. So like you said, I'm kind of in the middle because I see all these players leaving for money, all these players leaving yeah, for— Yeah, because now they can do the endorsement deals. Right, and, and I just, you it's, know. it's changed the game. It's it's turned it more, than, more into a business than a game, and but it's hard. But if you had an opportunity for a nice NIL deal that I'm going. said— Okay. I'm going. I'm going. That said, you were going to go to Austin P. Going, yeah. Uh, Austin P. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you said you, you couldn't throw me Jackson State. You couldn't throw me Jackson State. Listen, I just love the fact that if you play for Austin P. When you go to the game and you hear "Let's go P.", I just think it's, it's hilarious, <laughs> and I love it. But you know, listen, I get it. I think players. This is a wonderful opportunity for the right. men and the women with right. these nil deals. Right. I'm just wondering if it's you know. It's I I do think it's gonna have. I don't I don't see any great things coming out of this in the future. I see right. a lot of turmoil, a lot of split decisions with a lot of people. It's gonna split families up, split split friends up. <laughs> right. But at the same time, like this is how they do to the league. Like yeah, you gotta get yours true. at the end right. of the day. Hey, you know. You gotta get yours. Give me a score, Jordan. Score for Ohio State, Georgia. I'm gonna give Georgia forty this time. I'm gonna give them forty. Uh-huh. Ohio State. We'll go 24. 40-24. Right. I was closer last time. You were way you? closer. I, <laughs> man, I was watching the game like, can we just end it right here, halftime? We, we, we done, y'all done broke my score. I'm about uh, to hear it from her. All right. Well, I will definitely text you. Jordan Tucker, sports analyst, thank you so much for coming back and giving your analysis. We shall see what happens. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And, of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as on our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Listen, if you plan to party like it's 1999 and ring in the 2023, by all means, have fun, but please be safe. Happy New Year from the Closer Look team. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.